Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. note, if you have a Bible with you or you have a Bible app on your mobile phone, uh, please turn with me to the uh, book of Acts and we're going to be in chapter number 16. And before we get started, I actually, I actually need to issue a warning, okay? You see, most of the series that we do here at First Baptist Church are intentionally very practical and they're aimed at getting you to uh, make decisions and do things based on God's word and what he tells you to do. And so we talk about what the Bible says and then we talk about what you should do based on that. But this series um, that we're going to start today is, isn't so much, so much about what you are supposed to do, it's, it's more about what you're supposed to know, okay? This is a theological series, which means we're going to dive deep into the word of God and we're going to dig out some of the deeper truths of scripture. And in the process, there is a chance in our discussions that you're going to be exposed to some geeky theological ideas, okay? And you're probably going to hear some strange theological terms. We're probably going to use words like, you know, theology and doctrine and justification and, and maybe even words like hypostatic union. And I, and I just want you to know I apologize for that right up front, okay? And I'm going to do my very best to keep this series interesting and keep you engaged in the discussion. And, and, and I'm going to do my very best to keep you awake during this series. Uh, but if you fall asleep during the message, I'm not going to blame you because I understand, okay? Sometimes theology can be a little bit dry, okay? So if you fall asleep during this message, I'm not going to blame you, but you have to understand, if you fall asleep, I will take your picture, and I will post it on the church's Facebook page, okay? Just, just saying. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. I mean, more than once anyway, so. <laughs> but, uh, but now Christmas is over, and New Year's is once again upon us. We're wrapping up 2015. As I said a couple weeks ago, we've actually uh, got a lot covered this year. And uh, In fact, we wrapped up a series on evangelism where, we're where we talked about what we're supposed to do and, and how we're supposed to share our faith with other people. And uh, in that series... And during Christmas, we spent a lot of time talking about the actual gospel of Jesus Christ and how to share that with someone else. And then during this last year, we spent some time uh, talking uh, about discipleship and following Jesus and what that looks like. And we talked about, you know, daily disciplines and, and things that we need to engage in, like, like daily reading of our Bible and prayer and, and getting plugged into community in order to grow in our walk with Christ. And we spent a lot of time talking about becoming more like Jesus and doing the things that Jesus, you know, said to do and, and doing the things that Jesus did. And all of these things that we talked about this last year are very important for us. They're important for us to continue to study. They're important for us to continue to apply to our lives as we grow and mature with our walk with God. Okay? But with all of that, there's something we need to never, ever lose sight of. Okay? You see, for all that we learn and all that we work on in order to grow in our faith to be more like Jesus, there's some basic things that, need to, that we need to stay focused on, things that we need to remain absolutely clear about. In fact, if you're a new Christian, uh, new to the Christian faith, then there's some things that you need to know uh, or need to learn because they are foundationally important to your faith. They are absolutely critical to your faith in God. And for those of you who already believe and have been following Jesus for some time, there are things that we need 
to keep in the forefront of our minds and continually remind ourselves of. And so because of that, this week we're kicking off a brand new series titled uh, Christianity 101. And the whole point of this series is found in the subtitle, which is what we believe and why. Okay, We're going to examine what we believe foundationally and why we need to believe it. And it's important, especially in our postmodern culture, because the things are changing you know, at the foundational level you know, for the Christian faith, especially here in, in, in America. You see, uh, there may be even uh, some, in, some churches who have really come to this place where uh, they say things like, you know, just do what Jesus did. It doesn't matter what you believe, just love the way Jesus loved, okay? It's all that matters. Just love the way Jesus did and everything else is irrelevant because doctrine really doesn't matter. In fact, doctrine separates people. In fact, I think we've heard that before. Doctrine separates people, but the love of Jesus unites them. Jesus doesn't care about your doctrine. He just cares that you, the way you love and treat other people. And on the surface, that sounds good, Right? Jesus, you know, isn't concerned about doctrine. He's concerned about how you love people. But, um, and that's what we're being told. And of course, we know we need to love our neighbor. And of course, we need to, to, to love our enemies. And, and, you know, you've heard me say this over and over again. We talk about this all the time. You've heard me preach about loving other people over and over again. And guess what? I'll continue to preach about that over and over again because it's important. But let's be absolutely 100% clear about this. Loving people and loving your enemies and loving each other the way Jesus loves us is not the gospel. Okay? I want you to hear me on this. It is not the gospel. Okay? The way we treat people and the way that we love people is absolutely important, yes, but it is not the gospel. The way that we love people actually is a natural byproduct of the gospel, but it is not itself the gospel. Meaning, okay, the way that we love people, the way that we care about people is not what saves us. Okay? You have to understand this. Okay? This is an important thing to grab hold of, especially now in our culture. Because right now we live in a culture that wants to reduce Christian, Christianity and the Christian experience down to the way that we behave and the way that we treat people. Now don't get me wrong. Okay? How Christians behave and how we treat other people is absolutely important and, and critical. And Christians you know, for many years have gotten this part very wrong. But that is not what the root of the Christian experience is. The way we love other people is not the foundation of our faith. But there are many people who think that it is. In fact, there are some very popular pastors who would say Christianity is not about doctrine, but how we treat other people. And it's about how we express the love of Christ. And they will say things like, just imagine, you know, uh, if we didn't care about doctrine and, and if everybody would just, would just love, you know, what would the, the world be like? Which, which sounds good. I mean, it sounds really good, but, the, but here's the problem, okay? You see, because of this basic shift in thinking... There's a lot of faulty ideas that are being, uh, beginning to infect the church. Faulty ideas that are beginning to undermine the gospel itself. It's this shift in thinking is leading to a wider acceptance of ideas like pluralism and universalism and inclusivism. And I know those are all big words, but let me just tell you what they are. Okay, pluralism is the idea that, that we all worship the same God regardless of what we believe. Pluralism says that, 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 that the Christian and the Buddhist and the Muslim and, and the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormon and the Sikh all worship the same God. And that all of our faiths you know, lead to the same God if we will follow them faithfully. That's what pluralism is. 
And then universalism is this idea that God is a loving God. And because he's loving, he can't consign anybody to hell. Okay? And so because of that, in the end, everybody gets saved anyway, regardless of what you believe. Okay? Except maybe the worst people like Hitler, you know, because they struggle to justify that. But everybody else gets saved because God is loving and he can't, you know, he doesn't really care about sin. And then you have inclusivism. Inclusivism is the belief that, that, that you are definitely only saved by the blood of Christ. But you don't actually have to know about it or be aware of it to be saved. Which means, you know, if you're a moral person seeking God in your own way, you don't actually have to hear the gospel preached. Okay? That you're still saved because the inner light that's in your heart. Especially if you're seeking God in your own way. And, and these are the ideas that are becoming increasingly popular in our culture and in the church. Because they sound good. And they sound compassionate. And guess what? The world at large, especially those who claim to be progressive and enlightened, are putting more and more pressure on the church to accept these kinds of ideas. You see, we see it all the time all around us. The church is being pressured more and more to accept these faulty ideas. And more than that, you know, this kind of thinking or philosophy that Christianity is simply how we treat other people and how we love other people is leading others to this serious, other serious errors in the, in the church. Errors such as the acceptance of every deviant lifestyle in the name of love. Okay? Because love is love, right? I mean, that's what we're told. I mean, who are you to say, you know, who I should love and who I shouldn't love? Who, who are you to say who I can marry and can't marry, right? I mean, who are you to say to me what's right and what is wrong? Because it's not what it's about. It's just about love. That's what Jesus says. Just love one another. Okay? And, and, these, and, and other errors like, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I, I really don't think the Bible is historical. Or I don't, I don't think that the Bible is always correct. Or how about this? I'm a Christian, but I don't think that I need to be a part of the church. In fact, I love Jesus and I hate the church. Okay? As long as I'm following Jesus and practicing the golden rule and loving people, that's all that matters. I don't really need fellowship. I don't need discipleship. I don't need doctrine and all that other stuff. Okay? And that's what this world is coming to. And, and, and now the world is, you know, is telling the church that if you want to be important and if you want to be relevant and if you want to have something to say and you don't want to be attacked and hated, then you need to adopt these new ideas. You need to, to love people and just forget about doctrine. Well, the problem with these errors and the problem with this way of thinking is that it, miss, it misses the truth of the gospel itself. You see, um, yes, we're absolutely supposed to be loving. And you'll hear me say that over and over again. Okay? Yes, we're called to love our neighbors. Yes, we were called to love our enemies. Right? Yes, we're called to love each other the way Jesus loves us with, is with a sacrificial you know, kind of love. Okay? Yes, we are to, to love the least of these and, and, and love the unlovable. Yes, we're to do all that. But let's be 100% clear. This loving people... Even though that's what we're called to do, is not, it is not what saves us. We are not saved because of the way that we love. We are not saved because we're compassionate. We're not saved because we put other people above ourselves. We're not saved because we're accepting and tolerant and understanding. We're not saved by the way we love. But instead, this love is actually the byproduct of being saved. You see, it's not our love that saves us, okay? It's not what we do 
This is the important distinction. It's not what we do that saves us. And that's the thing that we have to come to terms with. Okay? This is the thing we have to keep in mind as the world tries to push us in this direction, as the culture and the world pushes us to let go of our doctrine. We are not saved by the things we do. We are saved by something else entirely. And that's where I want to start today here in Christianity 101, is I want to start with what actually saves us. But if it's not what we do, then what is it? Okay? If it's not the way we love and it's not what we do, then, then what is it that actually saves us? Well, to answer that, let's turn to uh, Acts chapter number 16. And in this chapter, there is a story that you should be familiar with because we actually talked about this a few weeks ago in, in the series titled Go. And in this, in this story, we find out about how the jailer of Philippi was saved. And in this story, we discover that Paul and Silas are completely sold out for Jesus and the gospel, and they put the interest of the jailer above themselves. And these guys are ready to share the gospel, even in the worst of circumstances, because they're the ones that are in jail. Okay, and, and so they're ready to share the gospel even in tough times, but there is actually more to this story, more that we can learn from this story, and that's what I want to share with you uh, this morning. Now, without retelling this entire story, let me just kind of summarize, you know, part of this. Paul and Silas were in the city of Philippi, and they were spreading the gospel, and they were arrested for freeing a young girl from, you know, uh, a demon that possessed her, and, you know, if you want the details, then, then you can go ahead and read it, but after they were arrested, they were beaten with rods, and then they were thrown in jail, and their legs were bound with chains, and as a story goes, Paul and Silas were in jail, and they're not complaining, and they're not griping, and they're not, you know, they're not, um, you know, crying about their situation. They're actually praying and singing hymns to God. That while they're in their worst circumstances, they're worshiping God, and as they're doing this, a great earthquake hits, and every door in the jail is flung open, and, and everybody's chains fall off, and, uh, and, and, and essentially everybody in the jail at that point, in that moment, is free to leave. And then we read in verse 27, it says, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, the reason why he would do this is because every person in Roman culture at the time understood that if you were someone who was in charge of prisoners and one of them escaped, that meant that you're going to die. Okay, And so he wasn't going to wait around. He wasn't waiting around for his boss to come yell at him and then, and then kill him himself. He decided to take matters in his own hands. But then in verse 28, Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all still here. You see, Paul knew what he was about to do, and he assured him that there's no reason to kill himself because no one had escaped. Everybody was still where they were supposed to be. And notice what it says. It says in verse 29, the jailer called for lights. He rushed in and fell, trembling before Paul and Silas. Okay? So here he is. Obviously, he's emotional. Okay? I mean, this guy's life just flashed before his eyes. I mean, he had just made a decision that he was going to kill himself. Okay? And in one moment, he has no hope at all. And in the next moment, his hopeless situation vanishes. And then obviously he's been listening to Paul and Silas right, as they talk and sing. Because, he, because notice what he says next. He says in verse 30, he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
You see, the, the jailers come face to face with his greatest need, okay? He needed salvation. And he wasn't talking about physical salvation. He wasn't talking about his physical life because it had already been saved. His physical life was saved when all the prisoners stayed put in their cells. He realized that he needed something else. He needed to be saved from his sin. He needed salvation from the coming judgment and the wrath of God. And so he asked, you know, uh, very directly the same question that we're asking. What must I do? To be saved. Okay? What is it that actually saves us? Do I, do I need to be good to people? Do I need to, to, be, to, to give more money to the poor? Do I need to, to love my neighbor more? Do I need to, to go down and, and feed some homeless kids? I mean, do I need to find you know, common ground with those that I don't believe you know, you know, the same with? Do I need to love my enemies? Do I need to, to read lots of religious books and go worship in a temple? Do I need to cut off all my hair and, and put a, a weird robe on and chant scriptures all day long? Is that what it is? What must I do to be saved? Because he's saying, like, I don't know the answer. Okay? All I know is I need to be saved. And I believe you, Paul, have the answer. So what is it that I need to do to be saved? And he gave him an answer. He said... Go out and love everyone the way Jesus loved them and go out and be nice to everyone and treat them, you know, well and you'll be saved. Well, no, that's not what he said, okay? What he said was, believe, okay? Believe, not do, but believe, okay? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will, this is emphatic, you will be saved, it's as simple as that. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That is what they said. You do that and you will be saved. You have to believe. You see, salvation isn't about what you do. It's about what you believe. Faith is the root of Christianity, not what you do. It's not about how you love people. It's how you believe. See, Paul says that to believe in Jesus is what you need to do to be saved. In fact, Jesus tells us himself in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever, what? Believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. If you believe that you, then you are saved. The Apostle John says, The reason why I wrote my gospel, the reason why I wrote my book, is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Salvation is not about what you do, salvation is about what you believed. You don't get saved by what you do. You get saved because of what you believe. The bottom line truth of the gospel is that. We are justified or saved through faith in Christ. In fact, Paul tells us you know, in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the, our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? You see, we don't have peace with God because we love other people. We don't have peace with God because we're, we're kind and generous to other people. We don't have peace with God because we love our enemies. We have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. We have peace with God because we believe in Christ. And it's because we have peace with God, then we love others. That love is a byproduct of our salvation. And that salvation comes through faith or belief in Jesus. Now, now here's what you have to understand. 
because this is an important implication to this. Okay, you have to understand because if because if you are saved by not what you do, but what, but instead by what you believe, then what you believe, what you actually believe, is critically important. Let me just say that again. If you're saved because of what you believe, then what you actually believe, or the substance of that belief, the actual things you believe, the components of that belief are critically important. You see, you don't just get to believe anything and be saved. You have to believe something specific to be saved. You have to believe in Jesus to be saved. You have to believe specific things about Jesus to be saved. And you must believe in the correct Jesus to be saved. Now, that might sound really strange to you, but there are groups of people who claim to, that they believe in Jesus, but when they describe their Jesus, he's a very different person altogether than the one we learn about in the Bible. I mean, think about this. If someone was to come in here and say, hey, I know Keith Baird, and they were to tell you that Keith Baird is six foot four, 270 pounds, with long, flowing black hair, and speaks with an Australian accent, <laughs> you're going to say, yep, that's not the Keith Baird I know, Okay. You must be talking about a different guy, okay? And it's the same way with Jesus. You must believe specific things about Jesus, and you must believe the correct, believe in the correct Jesus to be saved. And so what you actually believe, or the substance of your belief, then, is absolutely critically important, which means, which means doctrine is not something you can just cast aside. Doctrine is actually important, because... That's what doctrine is. Doctrine is clarified, teachable substance of what we believe. Webster defines doctrine as a set of ideas or beliefs that are taught or believed to be true. Doctrine is simply the teachings of Christianity and what it's all about. Doctrine is a substance of faith spelled out in a way that we can examine it and talk about it and debate it and get clear about it. Doctrine is the substance of what we believe reduced down to words. So doctrine, regardless, of what the rest of the world has to say about it is absolutely critical to your faith in Jesus. If you believe the right doctrine, you're saved. If you believe in the wrong doctrine, you're not saved. It is simple as that. So doctrine, or what we believe, is essential to our faith in God. And so because of that, doctrine, or the things that we believe... In this, this is what we're going to talk about in this series. This is what this series is all about. And, and, and that's why the subtitle is What We Believe and Why. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the basic doctrines or beliefs of the Christian faith. Um, you know, the, and and the, the doctrines that have been held since the very beginning of the church. And we're going to look at several doctrines that are essential to faith in Christ. And, and in this um, series, we're, this series is going to be actually... Uh, it's going to be for everyone, regardless of how old you are, regardless of how long you've been a believer or not. This series is going to be a huge benefit for everyone. If you're new to the faith, this series is going to be a great way for you to you know, strengthen the foundation of what you already believe and get clear about what the orthodox teachings of Christianity are. And if you're someone who has been a believer for a long time, this series is going to help you to refocus on the essential parts of our faith because it's easy to kind of get caught up in this world and easy to get distracted with, with everything that's going on all around us in the world. And, and this series is also going to be helpful for people who, who, uh, who have not yet put their faith in Christ because, because this is where you're going to actually get a clear understanding of what true Christians believe and, and what they've believed ever since the beginning of the church. Now, you might actually think, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Isn't that impossible? I mean, there's lots and lots and lots of doctrines. And because of that, there are lots and lots of different Christian denominations. 
I mean, there's lots of beliefs that Christians have, and, and they don't all agree on that stuff. In fact, there are Christians in town right now who don't agree. In fact, we have so many different churches right now. Okay? In fact, your buddy, Pastor Mason, that you did Christmas with, okay, the reason why he pastors a different church than you do is because, guess what? He has some different beliefs than you do. And you know what I would say to that? I'd say, you're right. You were absolutely right. There are lots of Christian doctrines. There's lots of disagreement about those doctrines. Everything from Calvinism to Arminianism. Everything from dispensationalism to historical premillennialism. Okay? From the age of the earth to the way people take communion, there are lots of things that Christians debate about and disagree about. There are lots of doctrines that separate denominations. There are lots of beliefs that have created bitter disagreements between Christians and congregations. That's absolutely the truth. But yet... We know for a fact that our friends at Mason's Church believe in the same Jesus that we believe in. And we believe that they're saved. And we know that it's the same for, for Pastor Phil's church. And we know it's the same for Pastor Jack English and Pastor Howard Edmund and North Edwards and so on. And we know that these are all Bible-believing churches with pastors who preach the gospel. But in spite of this, there's still some disagreements between all of these churches. So, so what do we do with that? How do we get past that? I mean, how do we identify and say that is what true Orthodox Christianity is? What, what's what they actually believe? What, what are the essential doctrines that unite all of these churches and all of these believers into one body of Christ? How do we separate all the doctrinal stuff that, that gets in the way? How can we find the core truth of salvation? Well, that's the question that we're going to answer today. That is what we're going to start with today. We're going to take some time this morning and we're going to lay the groundwork for the rest of this series by asking this question. Because we need to establish a core set of beliefs and doctrines and, and that all Christians believe. A set of doctrines that unite us all with every Christian since the beginning of the church into one body. A clear set of beliefs that we can all say, yes, that right there is what you must believe to be saved. Or if you deny that, then you're not saved. We need to be clear and, and have a clear set of orthodox teachings. And not just based on human opinions, but what the Bible actually clearly teaches. And, and, and what we need to do is, is have them be embraced from the beginning of the church. And, and, what, and, and that is what we're going to do today. And so we're going to talk... Uh, about how we're going to sort all this out. We're going to actually talk about the way in which we can filter all this and take all this of the things that Christians say that they believe and what they're, and we're going to establish a method where, we can, method where we can actually sort through all these various different ideas and, and, and beliefs and work through and sort out what's actually essential to salvation and what is not essential to salvation. And so where I want to begin today is I want to begin with, uh, with a, a helpful analogy that I read about in an article written by a man named Dr. Albert Muller. Dr. Albert Muller is the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he is the professor of theology there at the Southern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary, and he is a first-rate theologian, which means reading his stuff can be really dry, okay? But in this article, Albert Muller talks about the importance of defending the Christian faith and holding firm to the doctrines that we hold dear. In fact, Albert Muller says, God's truth is to be defended at every Every point and in every detail, but, he adds, responsible Christians must determine which issues deserve first-rank attention in a time of theological crisis. 
Okay? In other words, mature Christians or Christians who have a strong, well-grounded faith need to be able to discern and to determine what doctrines and what beliefs okay, are essential to the Christian faith and which beliefs are secondary issues and that are not essential to faith. Because the truth is this, there are doctrines that are not essential to faith. In fact, we have doctrines here at First Baptist Church that we believe very strongly that are not essential to having a saving faith in Christ. Okay? And so in his article, he goes on to explain that sorting these doctrines out is important, and sorting this stuff out is similar to the work done uh, by a triage nurse in an, in an emergency room. You see, when you go to an emergency room, the, the first medical professional you typically encounter will be the triage nurse. Okay? And, and the triage nurse typically is the one who gives the initial examination, and then based on what they find, they determine in an order of priority to see who needs medical attention first. And so obviously the triage nurse is going to give priority to some people uh, over some other people based on the urgencies of their need. And so someone with a gunshot wound to the chest is likely to give, be given higher priority than a person with strep throat. Okay? Someone who is bleeding profusely will have you know, more of a priority than someone who has a sprained ankle because one case is life-threatening while the other one is not. And so there's an order of priority in the emergency room. And, 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 and life-threatening emergencies come first and it's as simple as that and likewise there's an order of priority when it comes to things that we believe as Christians there's an order of priority when it comes to doctrines and the things that threaten eternal salvation Okay, um, those are the things that have the greatest importance and so with that Albert Muller actually has established kind of a, a three tier approach to sorting these doctrines out and the way he breaks it down is like this he says first of all you have what's called what he calls third order doctrines or beliefs Okay, and they have really the least priority and he said these are the things that Christians you know um, not all Christians agree on but they don't really cause a lot of division, okay? There's, they don't cause very much division even, you know, in churches or even like, you know, in other uh, congregations. Um, and he says, these types of doctrines really have no bearing at all on a person's salvation. They are non-essential. And an example of these third order doctrines or beliefs would be a person's view on the end times. Okay, what's going to happen when Jesus comes back and what exactly, how does that look? A person's view on the end times isn't something to get divided over because the truth is it doesn't matter if you believe in, if you believe in dispensational premillennialism or partial preterism and it certainly doesn't matter if you know the difference between the two or if you don't even care what the difference is between the two. Okay, what you believe about these things isn't going to, get, isn't going to divide the church. And it certainly isn't going to affect your salvation. It's a third order or third tier doctrine. Okay? It has the least priority. And uh, other beliefs that fit in this category would be something like music. It doesn't matter if you like contemporary music or the old hymns or both, because music style of worship isn't something to break fellowship over. It isn't something that affects a person's salvation. So whether or not you like because he lives or I will rise or both, okay, it doesn't matter. Regardless of what some grumpy people might say about music, okay, music is not an essential to your faith in Christ. It's a third order belief. Now on the next level, we have second order beliefs. Now second order beliefs, like the third, don't really affect you know, a person's salvation, but they can create deep division in the church because they are, they are very important issues. These beliefs can be barriers to congregations having fellowship with one another. An example of this 
is the mode of baptism, okay? Which is a very important doctrine in the church. Baptists believe that a person shouldn't be baptized until they actually make a profession of faith. And so because of that, we don't baptize infants because they cannot speak for themselves. They can't declare that they follow Jesus. And so because of that, we don't baptize infants because, uh, and, and it's an important doctrine to Baptists historically, okay? But as any good Baptist will tell you, your baptism and how you understand baptism doesn't save you. And this is important because Presbyterians, okay, you know, they see baptism differently th- than we do. Okay, they're conservative, Bible-believing Christians. Okay, in fact, they, they've developed a lot of the, the creeds that we hold to, like the Westminster Confession. Um, but but they, they're conservative Christians just the same as we are, but they actually will baptize infants, and they do so based on what they understand in the Old Testament covenant. And in debates, they can hold their own because they make a strong biblical case from the Old Testament, and they have a lot of church history to back them up. And it's a pretty big issue that we don't agree with them on. But we as a church... We're going, to, we're going to stand shoulder to shoulder, united with our Presbyterian brothers and sisters in order to defend the faith that we share. And we hold firm to the essentials of faith the same as that they do. But on the issue of baptism, we're going to be divided. Okay? It puts up a barrier to close fellowship with them because the truth is we're never, as a Baptist church, going to baptize an infant okay? because it stands in contrast to how we understand what the Bible teaches about baptism. So even though... We agree, though, we disagree um, about this issue of baptism. It's still not an, an issue that jeopardizes salvation. Okay, it's a second tier or second order doctrine. Now, other second order doctrines would be things like you know how the church takes communion. This is an important issue that every church has to decide for itself, and, and this is something that churches divide themselves over. Or how a church views you know what it, how it views the doctrine of election or God's irresistible grace. Because some churches tend to be Calvinist, while others are Arminianist. And if you don't know what that is, that's okay. Okay, these issues create big, deep debates that ultimately are not essential to a person's salvation. But with that, the next step, we get to the heart of the matter because the next step is where we arrive at what's called first order doctrines. First order beliefs. First order beliefs are the essential things that we must believe to be saved. In fact, Albert Muller says, first order doctrines represent the most fundamental truths of what Christian of the Christian faith. And a denial of those doctrines represents nothing less than an eventual, eventual denial of Christianity itself. In other words, first order doctrines are absolutely the bare essentials. These are the doctrines that every Christian holds to. These are the doctrines that have been the basis for salvation since Jesus left the earth. These are the non-negotiable things. These are the things that you absolutely must believe in order to be saved. Okay? And to deny these things would be a clear evidence that you have not met Christ and you have not been saved. First order doctrines or beliefs are going to be things like the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did he actually come back from the dead? Did he, was he rose from the grave? That is a first order doctrine. You must believe that. That is essential to our faith. Other first order doctrines would include uh, the fact that Jesus is fully God and fully man and how uh, about the doctrine that we've been actually talking about, which is the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ. You are saved not by what you do. You're saved by what you believe. Now, 
These are just some of the examples of first order doctrines and they are absolutely essential to being saved and these are the things that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. Okay, In the next several weeks, we're going to jump into the bare essentials of what we need to believe to be saved. And we're, and we're, going, to, we're going to take an up-close look at what we need to believe and why we need to believe it. And, and I promise you, once we're, we're done with this series, if you're a believer, the foundation of your faith will actually be strengthened. And if you're not a believer, then you will have a clear, clear understanding of what Orthodox Christians actually believe at the very foundation level. Now, before we wrap this up, let's talk real quick about the extreme views of what is and what is not essential. Because there are going to be a lot of people who are not going to agree with me. They're going to, be, they're going to disagree with me about the, what, what the essentials are. And they will tend to fall in one or two uh, camps. Okay? They will be either theological liberals on one extreme, or they will be theological fundamentalists on the other extreme. And both of these positions are in error. Because theological liberals, they're the ones who deny that there are any essentials at all, okay? They deny that essentials in doctrine actually exist. They're the ones that, that, that deny the reliability of scripture. They're the ones that believe that it's more about what you do, like loving other people than what you actually believe. In, in fact, you know, for the liberal theologian, every doctrine is just simply a third order doctrine that doesn't really affect salvation. For them, it's, it's, there's no real first order essential doctrines. Now, on the other hand, the fundamentalist makes everything, everything, a first order doctrine. There are no third order or second order doctrines, okay? And the list of essentials grows and grows, and suddenly salvation is about what you believe, you know, with respect to things like baptism and the Lord's table and music and even what you believe about the end times. In fact, there are some fundamentalists who think that if you don't believe in premillennial dispensationalism, then you are not saved. And there are others who believe that if you don't believe, you know, uh, in the doctrine of unconditional conditional election, then you're not saved. And, and the problem with fundamentalism is that it becomes about believing all the right things so much that you are no good for the kingdom of God because you don't have time or the compassionate to do what Jesus said to do, which is to love everyone, including your enemies. Both of these extremes are dead wrong because there is a traceable core set of beliefs that can be traced back to the time of Jesus when he left the earth. And these beliefs make up the essential doctrines of salvation. Nothing more and nothing less than these. And so it's going to be these core beliefs and doctrines that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. And, uh, and we're, going to, we're going to learn a lot. And again, I'm going to try to like keep the theological language down and keep it interesting as much as I can. But in order to get ready for the rest of the series... There's a couple things I want you to do. Number one, I want you to just take a few minutes when you get some time to yourself and just think to yourself, what do I think are the essential things that I believe that I need to, to, to know or to believe to be saved? Okay, What are those essential things? And just take a moment and write them down. In fact, just take a minute and like write down like five of them. Okay, if, if, if they come to your mind. And I'll make this easy because I'll give you the first one, Okay, okay? which is um, what we've been talking about. All right? You are saved... Through faith. That's an essential doctrine. Justification through faith is an essential doctrine of Christianity. You are saved by what you believe, not what you do. Okay? And once you've taken a moment and you've kind of written those things down, then uh, take some time this week and just get alone with God. Okay? And, and 
and I, and I don't mean just like, hey, you know, Heavenly Father and just kind of run, run it, rush through it. I mean, take some time, get alone with him, turn the radio off, just get into a quiet spa space and just pray, Lord, open my heart. Open my heart and my mind to the truth, you know, of your word so that I can clearly know and understand the beliefs, you know, and the doctrines that we're going to talk about in this series, Christianity 101. Okay, so number one is make your list. Number two, spend some time alone in prayer with God. Let me pray for you. Lord God, we, we thank you for your word. And uh, we, we thank you for how complex it is. Um, Lord, uh, sometimes theology, theology can be daunting and intimidating. Sometimes we, you know, we want it just to be simple. Just tell us what to do. Just give us a list. Give us some things to do, Lord, and, and then we'll just handle that. Um, but the reality is, is you're deeper than that. And the gospel is simpler than that. We can't earn your salvation by things we do. We can't love enough people. I can't be good enough to overcome the stain of my sin. The only thing that saves me is my faith in you. And that through that faith in you, you've transformed my heart. And then I'm able to really love people. And not just love people the way that people love, but the way that you love. Which is with an unmerited kind of love and I just pray, Lord God, we'd all take that seriously, that we would all just be passionate about knowing you, really, really knowing you, you know, really understanding, you know, why we believe what we believe and being able to articulate that and share that with other people. And that we'd be able to stand and not be fooled when people talk about sound, good sounding doctrines. I mean, there's so many things that sound good to us. But the reality is, is your word is very clear and your truth is very clear that we need to come to you in faith and we need to believe certain things and be very clear about that. And so, Lord, I just lift up, you know, all of our hearts and our minds to you, that we'd be ready to hear your word. We'd be ready to be engaged in your word in these coming weeks, Lord, and that you would edify us as a church and that you would strengthen us, Lord, preparing our hearts to go out and then to storm the gates of hell in this community, that we would transform the world around us, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. That we'd be changed by your word, and that change would then cause us to love in a brand new way. And let us be the light that shines in this community. And Lord, we thank you for that. I pray for all those who are not here, that you'd, you'd guide and protect them and bring them back here. We pray that you meet everybody where they need, need to be met, Lord. I pray that you'd mend broken hearts, that you would mend and, and, and heal people who, who have anxiety and depression. I pray, Father, that you'd be glorified in all that we do. We love you and we praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world. Mm -hmm.